You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 299 and part one of a very special guest and former teammate of yours. Might I just add this before you even say anything? I've asked you for six years to get this guy on, maybe even seven years now, but you finally did it. You reached out. Now we have it. It's going to be a two-part episode, so this will be part one. Yeah, telling people who they are, who he is. Or mystery guest. Is that how you're playing this? Did I not say his name? No. Oh, Sheldon Surrey. Sheldon Surrey. Beauty. I, I could have swore I said it, but I look One forward to hearing One of my favorite teammates that I played with. You guys are going to love this episode. It's nice to see your face. I have not seen your face in over a week. Did you know that? It, it feels uh I have not it, spoken it, to you since last Tuesday, really. I've tried to avoid you. Yeah. So why didn't we do uh episodes last week? Why don't you tell the people why we haven't done any <laughs> episodes? Go ahead. All right. Well so we put out an episode what on Tuesday, was it? And then we recorded with Vanek on Tuesday a little later. And ladies and gentlemen. It was an unbelievable episode. Incredible. <laughs> so where is it? So Thomas. Where's addressed... the episode? <laughs> Literally was one of my favorite episodes we friggin' done. Vanner's on fire. Tell me. I haven't even talked to you about this. Where <laughs> is the episode? Is it done? Is it gone? So had we done an episode between then and now, I would have said to you, and I was going to do it today, but Thomas isn't available, that I apologize. Oh, here we go. How many apologize? <laughs> how many times do you have to apologize losing incredible episodes? You should be fired on the spot. I should be fired. Thank you to Griffin at Best Buy. 
Not a boy, Griff. Did you see? Did uh, Griffin uh, save the episode? Who happens to be an after the whistle fan? And I'm sitting there with Griffin. I'm like, you have to save this episode. You don't. I'm like, you don't understand. This was this was Thomas Vanek today, and it was unbelievable. And I'm like, Craig's gonna kill me. Episode's Hence fucking gone. Episode's Hence gone. We have not talked in a week. We ha- Hence, have. We have not talked in a week. We have not spoken in a week. Really haven't really spoken. I've been trying to avoid you and Thomas, and I was going to tell you guys today, so at least I could get your raw reactions on on losing the episode. You know what my you know what my reaction was. It gave me a week to actually think, and I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. You're not going to like what I have to have to say, or maybe maybe you're going to be super happy. My thought was, is it time to just shut this shit down? Is it time to shut down the after the whistle? The answer is yes. That's it. This is our last show. It's our farewell tour. Well, listen. It's been I, a good I, run. It's been a good run. Uh, I appreciate all the work, uh, Griff, but apparently you suck at your job because no, you he's got, well, he didn't get the episode back. That's not his fault. That's it mine. is his fault. That's mine. Blaming it on Griff. Anyway, part one in Sheldon Surrey. Enjoy. Thank God. This guy just sits down and where are you? Riff is like, what are you? This is fucking Las Vegas, baby. Are those patio doors behind you? Are those open? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's pretty nice here right now. It's It's been cold. We've had a shitty winter, but today's going to be like, I don't know, low 60s. Pretty nice. What What's normal for that time of year in Vegas? It should be like mid to high 60s, but our winter has been brutal, man. We've had snow like last week. We've had more frostaways this year on the golf course than the last like 10 years combined didn't it so, snow there not it, long ago it did like um, snow you know what i mean it, the, the ground was fucking white for 18 minutes yeah but that's uncommon though isn't it it's very uncommon yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. again like, what, to- what would bring you to vegas like what's the vegas uh attraction here Besides, well, look maybe the, look the at this guy. He is that you are an attraction. Jesus. Well, Christ. the fucking the taxes. It's just all about money, ribs, and fucking businessman. I'm a businessman. Um, <laughs> you're not here. a businessman. You're a business businessman. Um, <laughs> when I actually so ribs, when I got hurt, I still had two years left on my contract. And and so this is I, when you were in Anaheim. This is when I was in Anaheim. Yeah, and so my business guy was like, "Well, why don't you fucking move?" I was renting my house out in Malibu because I, I still had a tenant in there. So he said, "Well, why don't you just move to Vegas for a couple of years?" You know, this I was still making good money, so the tax savings was significant enough to make it make sense. And um, then I went back to LA for I lived here for three years, and when the when the Knights came here their first year, I sold my house to Flurry. And then I moved back to California for a couple of years in 2019. I'm like, no, I'm out. Okay. So let me, let me ask you something. Um, We talk about this stuff all the time with free agents and stuff. How significant is the savings on a salary like yours for the superstar players that are making big money? 
to entice them to maybe go to a Florida or a Vegas versus an Edmonton or a Toronto or things like that? Is it, we New always York, try to, yeah, LA. New, well, exactly. I mean, yeah. the first person I thought of when you said the taxes, I'm thinking Jack Eichel must be loving life out there. 10 million from New York to, to Vegas. What would it huge, huge money? Well, yeah, it's like, it's at least 13%, maybe more. So on a million bucks, 130 grand, just more in your pocket for not doing anything. For, for like not so on five million, you know now you're at over six hundred grand a year. I mean six hundred grand a year just in free cash gets you a you know a nice mortgage, a, your Escalade, whatever. I mean it's it's plus the cost of living here isn't very high. Plus they don't have to deal with New York traffic uh, or California traffic. The traffic's easy. The weather's pretty good all year round. You, you can kind of go and places and be a little bit more anonymous than um um you know any, like any hockey cities hockey like toronto markets? yeah exactly like yeah. In canada so guys make big money and, and rivs knows he made big money you just want to go places where uh yeah i just where, went where to the three so places that had the highest tax bracket in the league in montreal <laughs> uh san yeah, jose and, 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 and new york <laughs> great great idea anyway whatever well, but I said to Riv earlier, we recorded a podcast. Uh, I can only edit one show a day. Fuck, it's it's tedious, man. Like I do it all too. I like you can imagine what Riv's capabilities it are. Ta- it would take yeah. most guys ten minutes. It takes Petey two hours. So oh, shit. fucking boom, boom. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's because I care about the product. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I I honestly said to Riv, I said I couldn't think of two guys on one team that I hated more than you two guys. And it just turns out that you guys are great buddies and we're great buddies at the time. And I'm just not surprised by it because I wanted to murder Riv, but he always said, you're never going to be on the ice against me. And anytime I was on the ice with you, you're like, fuck off. I'm a goal scorer. So, you know, I remember, I remember my rookie year, I went after you late in the game and I ended up with Patrice Brisebois in the corner. Um, But man, I wanted to get my hands on you guys more so Riv than you. Sheldon, because I know yeah. you could fight. <laughs> the breezer thing that was uh that wasn't accidental either, Petey. Who, who he ended up with. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's why I hated Buffalo so much. Like soon as I got traded from uh, San Jose to Buffalo, I I mean when when Doug Wilson told me that day, I just asked him. I was super pissed off that I got traded. I just signed a contract with San Jose, had the best year of my NHL career with the team, and ended up getting traded. And all I said was, Oh, okay. Whatever, whatever. Where am I going? He's like, traded to the Buffalo Sabres. So I'm like, I literally have never sworn to uh, any type of, you know, management or any- I said, fuck that. <laughs> Not a chance I'm going to Buffalo. I hate every guy in the team. I hate Lindy oh. Ruff. I hate the city. <laughs> I texted you when you got traded. And I'm like, Oof. tough bounce, oh. buddy. You're like, fucking, you didn't return my text for, I think, a couple weeks. He didn't return Darcy. Furious. Didn't return Darcy Regeer, the general manager from Buffalo, either. I think Almost his two wife. Months. I think his wife had to step in and be like, "You might want to. You might just want to give him a call here." I was furious, so so upset with that with that move. You know, listen, I, and it's not. It's no disrespect to Buffalo. It really isn't. It was just I literally hated the Buffalo Sabers. I hated the guys in the team. I hated the way they played. I hated oh. the city, and I hated Lindy Ruff. And I hated you, Petey. 
I hated the jersey. I hated everything yeah. about the team. Yeah. So it's I like, know. man, it was not a good. Uh, it wasn't a good team that came well, out of his. You mouth. say but that you know like what? you say that like the feelings weren't mutual, guys. Like that's the other thing about Buffalo, right? Going there is like we were in a division where you went to Toronto and you spent the night on Saturday nights. You went to New York. Um, you know, you went to these great places, and then you got to go to Buffalo. It's like fuck. You get there, it's like all snowy. It just, it was never a break from our routine. You know, like you go down to Florida, or you go to these places, and it's sunny, and everyone's good looking and smiling. And then you got to go to like upstate New York, and you got to go back to Montreal, where the weather isn't that great. And you're like, fuck, it's just relentless. The winter sometimes. So to have that, so what you said earlier about like Jack Eichel must love it here. Yeah, no shit, dude. He gets to, you know, drive the car he wants and it stays clean and there's no rock chips in his when I went to Edmonton, I got rid of all my cars. I went and got a deal with the Ford dealership. I'm like, you guys just gotta give me an F one fifty because I ain't driving my cars in this fucking yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you end up in Edmonton. I mean, uh, I mean, I know, and, and we talked about this before. You were from there, but that's not a free agent destination, you know. Yeah. When you talk about places to go, what's it like playing there? When you talk about breaking routine and things like that. So Edmonton was interesting, and and Rivs knows this because I played with him for seven, seven or eight, seven years, maybe Rivs. I think we played together, but. Um, yeah. Like, I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life for the last four or five years that I was in Montreal, right? Like, I had kids, I was getting divorced, it was like high conflict, it was like there's a bunch of things in my personal life that were was making it harder to, to just be focused on hockey. And um, when I became a free agent, there was two things that kind of happened that were, that, that really left me in a, in a, in a tight spot, which is... When you hit free agency, you you your age you've talked through all these scenarios, right? And your agent tells you this is where you and I've talked to this guy and this is get ready and the free agency happens, and the two places I want to go are the Rangers and um and the Kings, and so the the Rangers put out a couple offer sheets to Drury and uh, someone else, maybe Gomez, expecting one of those guys to sign them, and then uh, L.A. was going to sign the other guy. Well, they both end up agreeing to terms with the Rangers. So now I'm out with the Rangers. So now we go back to the Kings. I'm like, you know, I'd really like to be here. This and that. Okay, we'll let you know tomorrow. And then they said, well, we're not going to spend a bunch of money on one one guy. We're going to fill in some pieces. And so they went and signed, like, I think hands. Was there. Uh, they signed three or four guys. So all of a sudden now the two top teams that I wanted to go to are like, they're not there. And then I get a, a good offer from another team, and but it was back on the East Coast. And like I said, my, my life at the time wasn't that settled. And um, seven or eight days go on, and now it's like I'm going to go on vacation for a week. And my agent, like it was just got to be really stressful. I also came off shoulder surgery that year. It was like my third or fourth shoulder surgery. So all these teams wanted me to fly in and do physicals and stuff like that, which I was cool with. But now I'm I'm going on vacation, right, with my with my family, and so Edmonton kind of gave me this offer, and it was like, here it is. Here's they laid out some of the tax stuff. They they laid some things out, like they were going to get a new arena, and they really wanted to change the culture and yada yada. And then my parents were like, when I told them, they're like, oh man, we'll help you out with anything you need off the ice, and we're excited. And so I started like. I really started talking myself into it. Like this could be, 
and I actually, I really thought that it would be all right. You know, I signed a five-year deal. And even if I didn't play for, for five years there, um, it would be a great experience. My family would get to see me in an Oilers jersey and, and whatnot. And so that was kind of the decision behind there. And it wasn't, you guys know, we've all played in hockey cities where um, the weather and all the things we were just talking about, we were making fun of. doesn't really matter because you're in the rink, you know, pretty much all day. And on your days off, you're not like going tobogganing. You know what I mean? You're like chilling in your house and watching football or whatever it is. So that didn't really bother me. So that's how I kind of got to Edmonton. And then, you know, some things didn't turn out the way I got hurt again. And it just, it just, I got off on the wrong foot. And it was really hard to get that bad, that momentum back. And then we sucked, um, change coaches, just a lot of, you guys have been there, right? Going through like these rebuilds. Yep. And it's <laughs> tough as a guy who, you know, I signed there on a big money deal. Um, every time I'd have lunch with my dad, he'd be like, mad yeah you know i went to the harley shop today the guys all said you suck and you're overpaid and i'm like oh so so i started getting all that right it's just like oh my god this is it was relentless yeah and that's the thing people don't understand like you know so many of us that play the game for so long you have these uh you have injuries that just kind of seem to follow you around Mm -hmm. and you could be like uh certain particular players in the league that uh you know wouldn't uh wouldn't play if they had a, you know, uh, stub their toe or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of us, like yourself, played through discomfort and injuries that kind of seemed to kind of pile up throughout a career, right? And people, mm-hmm. fans don't know what's happening with with a lot of these players. You know, it's it, they just get to see everything for face value, what they're watching on the ice or on the TV and not knowing what, the, what a player's dealing with. And that's always yep. the tough thing, right? So... You know, but it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I appreciate what you said about the personal life too, because a lot of times fans will hear about injuries. You know, they're like, "Oh, he's dinged up or he's banged up," but they don't hear about that. You know, what a guy's going through in his personal life. Well, I would say this: you, you guys, you guys know. I mean, PD, you're a perfect example of like having the highest stress job in the NHL, right? It's the highest stress job, I would say, every day that. You wake up, you know you got to go fight George Larock, and, and you're thinking about it the whole day. And um, just think about if one of us three in 2008 or nine, you know, our, our GM asked us or our coach asked us, "Hey, how are you guys doing?" And you're like, "Man, I'm just I'm going through it. I'm a little sad today." Uh, your coach would go, "What?" And, and so would your teammates. Your teammates would go, "Yo, PD." <laughs> We need be, you to go after Laurent. Yeah, tonight. suck it up. Suck it up, yeah, Buttercup. Exactly. Let's go. Let's keep going. Exactly. And so, and you do because that you're a team guy. You want to be a part of the team and everything. But, I, I, and you know what I've learned in, in my career and even after my career ended, people don't care. They see that you're making a bunch of money. You're playing a sport that they would play for half the price. And you, you guys know you've been through it all before. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, there's a there's a human being side to every athlete. And sometimes that gets lost in, in poor performance. And there's a lot of things that go into a professional athlete waking up in the morning, being prepared to go to, to war, essentially, uh, day after day after day. And if one little thing's off in your life, um, it could it impacts your performance. But nobody wants to hear that. Just like get out there and play. Any, reg- any regrets? Like any regrets in your career, like right from the time that you, I, I think you, what, third round draft pick to um, to the Devils um, out of the Western Hockey League? 
jumped in there at a pretty uh, pretty early age, grabbed the position on on the New, New Jersey Devils, and then from there he got traded to to Montreal, and then you know from from then on you know signed with Edmonton and 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 progressed. Like looking back on your career, on all of the things that that happened. Any regrets on on any of it? You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. There's there's a lot of things I wish I did differently. I wish I paid more attention to um, fitness, to recovery. Um, I I <laughs> learned very quickly that, um, especially with my Edmonton experience, that it's a business, right? And I would probably look out for me a little bit more in, in from a business sense instead of, you know, going out, like you said, ribs and, and playing hurt and tearing your shoulder again. And then if you're not playing up to where they expect you to, but yet you're trying to just be a good team guy, it, it's, it's hard. It's like a no win situation. So with yeah. a little, I, I don't know, regrets. I'm so lucky. And, and, you know, we talk about this a lot, ribs, and that's like, I'm so lucky I got to do what I did for a long time. There's a lot of people who, you know, give anything to be in my position, but, um, you know, you learn along the way. And, um, when I look back, I'm pretty happy with everything, but you know, I, I, I look back in gratitude, not regret. Yeah. Go well, we look career. back on it completely differently then. Petey <laughs> <laughs> is like, hates Holy this game more than anything. Uh, <laughs> the minute my kid said, I don't want to play hockey. I just like burned all his gear. <laughs> oh man. I was like, you only got to tell me once. Yeah. <laughs> you know that you, there's things that you would change. There's no doubt for me. There's things that I would change, but I wouldn't change my journey. And I did a lot of stupid shit and I did a lot of crazy stuff. I wish yeah. now I could play in the league and take care of myself and, yeah. and do the things that I know that I could have done that could have made a difference in my game overall. But then all of a sudden the other part of me uh, kicks in to say, that's All right. those That's things. Right. Do you regret scaring the shit out of me in my in my bathroom that night <laughs> no. that you ended up getting my room key? That's one of my favorite memories, man. I, we had a lot of we sucked for a couple of years, ribs. But I will say we had you know you and Sack are two of my favorite guys I've played with. We made things. We made it fun, as fun as it could be. Um, Tell that story. What, what happened? What happened with the scaring the shit out of you? I don't think I've heard this one. So. This is great. So, so ribs, me and Sack were pretty much, you know, three musketeers were running around. We go to dinners and this and that. And so we were in Pittsburgh one night and we had an afternoon game, I think the next day. And so went for dinner and had a couple beers and uh, we're walking back to the hotel and ribs says, Hey guys, it's going to this place for one more. And we're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're getting the head back. That's called rib talk. He goes, okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go in for, for one. And we're like, no oh, shocker. Okay. And so we walked back. And it wasn't by myself, by the way. People are going to listen to this like, hey, let's go for one more by myself. No, it was with the, do you remember all the trainers were in there? And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to have a couple more. Okay, the trainers who aren't playing the next day. Sorry, you're (laughs) with the trainers, not another guy. I had to go buy him a couple drinks. Okay, so so that's justification, eh? Hey, Sheldon, problem number one. It wasn't by myself. You're talking to two sober guys here, Rev. We don't need your excuses. The stick boy, look in the mirror, buddy. Anyways, we get to the front desk and we say, "Hey, we um, we locked ourselves out of the room." 
Okay. And then, you know, now it's, it would be different. I don't, I don't even know how we got the key then, but the lady says, okay, what's your last name? And we're like, Rebe. So she gives us the, the key and we go into Riv's room <laughs> and Riv's is like the, this nerd who loves all his stuff, like set out perfectly. So he had his shaving kit all set up perfectly. And so me and Sack were sitting in there and we we're just going to scare him. And, um, fuck, like 20 minutes goes by. He's not back like 30 minutes. And I think we texted him. It was like, hey, you ever coming back? Yeah, I'm on my way back. So we jumped in the shower and we we're staying at this Weston with a shower curtain. So, okay, he's coming. So we we uh, closed the shower curtain. We're like just giggling, me and soccer. <laughs> and Rams opens the door. He comes in like an old man. He's like, oh, he lets out a fart. He's like, just, just home, right? Just like completely. Oh. And we're trying not to die laughing. He comes in the he comes in the bathroom <laughs> and he wants to he wants to brush his teeth and we fucking rip the shower curtain. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh. he went flying through the room. He threw he threw his toothpaste against the mirror. Like, Do you yeah, not remember you, me punching the door? You punched the door. <laughs> because I did I was so scared. Like you so didn't realize, like I'm looking into the mirror. And they're behind me, and then they whip the curtain over. It scared the shit out of me. Like, I mean, heart attack stuff. I threw his thing. They went, (laughs) (laughs) anyway. Yeah, ended up uh, putting a tiny little uh, hole in the in in the door, um, which was great. And then uh, the knuckles were sore for a couple days. But uh, you know, this is this is what happens. This is what happens on the road constantly. You know, well, Sh- yeah. Sheldon, he told he's told the story a bunch of times, but he told the story once and it caught fire like you wouldn't believe. And it got all the way back to Saku in Finland. All right. Just oh. through when we did our live uh, radio show here in Buffalo, he told the story about when he put Saku through the toilet in Caroline. Oh. <laughs> so hold Believing on before we go oh, there, but. God. That again, like you know, Shell, you can see Shelly's face. Just that no one, no one, I hadn't spoken about this, Shelly, for a decade uh, right. after I retired. And I ended up telling that story about Sack and I were two little kids. They're just, we're, we're, you know, best buddies, two little guys, uh, staying together. You know, it was a fight for everything, whether you, where you put your clothes, you know, when to use the washroom, everything was just a, a you know, con- constant competition. And in that situation, and I think you might've been there with me because you knew about it. But going into after all of this debacle where Sack had to go to the hospital, get stitched up, it was really bad. He went to the, he was the first was guy. Playoffs, wasn't it? Was it playoffs? Do you remember we won the first two games? The first two games in Carolina. Yeah. And then we lost four straight because Saku couldn't move and no one knew about it. <laughs> He wouldn't take his shirt off for like four days. He's just like, Zach, are you going to shower or what? No, you guys will meet you back in the room. He wouldn't even shower in the freaking dressing room with yeah. us. Did nobody but know? See- you guys were able to keep that quiet. That's what Rivs has always maintained is that is that no one ever knew. Not even the media because the media would have had a. No one knew. The management no didn't know. Nobody no. knew. I think our now trainer I- knew, didn't he? 
I think Graham. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Graham. Graham was the. Uh, he was a psychologist, a trainer, a doctor, a father. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, he took yeah. care of us better than any guy on the planet. And, uh, true. you know, he was the guy that when the room was starting to flood and the water's pouring out that we didn't know how to shut off the water. So we called Graham, who is the trainer of the team. And he came up and he's looking at us like, how did this even happen? And yeah. we just kind of make it made an excuse like Saku slipped on the toilet and hit the bowl. And he looked at both of us like, yeah, right. Cause he knew both of us, but. Right. See, but that's such a great story. I mean, like I remember things like that more than I remember a hat trick in a game or something, you know, which yep. only, had, which I only had one serves, no big deal overtime <laughs> winner in Nashville. But all the things that like it's when we look back at these regrets right it's like my god we had so much fun you know in in some ways too and we only got that chance because we played hockey you know we only got the excuse of going out the nights and you know on saint laurent or whatever we only got that because we're hockey players not because we were you know anything else and so um I, i don't know i just remember that was that's one of my favorite memories um, on a serious side, Sack coming back from cancer is one of my favorite memories. Yep. Um, you know, getting to play with Sack in Anaheim was one of my favorite. Me- like, there's a lot of things along the way that that I think about um, that my career involved. And being an actual hockey player is such a small piece of that pie. It's probably about, 20 or 30 percent of what I think. What about being such a good businessman? You ripped Riv off for about 10 grand on the Porsche 911 Turbo. <laughs> had custom <laughs> wheels though oh my god yeah. thickest wheels ever this car was love sick. that car tell us what happened with uh alexei kovalev after the um slash to the wrist in the playoffs against boston i think after what happened was he got slashed and then they, i think glenn murray came in and scored and it was overtime and all I said was, even if that happens, I don't think you can quit on the play. And uh, fuck, I, I didn't know no, it was going to get received like that's that. That's exactly what you said, eh? You just said it like this. Hey, Colby, you can't quit on that play there, eh, buddy? That's yeah, not what you said. Something, that's not probably like... something like that. It was something <laughs> like that. The words were just like that, but it came out a lot different. Yeah, um, it was kind of hot. I mean, but, you know, but look, that's the competition part of things too, right? Yeah, and it was also like that was the year ribs where, you know, I, it wasn't my strongest defensive season, and I was on the ice for that one, and I don't know, it just it was a lot of things. Some of it was just trying to get us going a little bit, right? Just fucking show you care a little bit. Um, Kofi was was. I don't know what ribs would say, but I thought he wasn't a bad teammate. He was just frustrating because he was capable of being such a world beater game changer. And sometimes you didn't see that, but we saw that every day in practice and he was fine in the room. He, you know, he did his thing. I don't think he was a bad teammate. It was just, um, it was sometimes frustrating because he just was the most talented. He left you, he left you for wanting more. He left yeah. you for wanting more. We we all got, and I told Petey this when we were talking about, you know, Kovalev 
and, you know, the situation in, in the playoffs with you and just overall, I said he is without question the most skilled player that I've ever played with in my entire 100%. life. I think yeah. he had the he had the ability to be or was the best player almost in NHL history for protecting yeah. the puck one on one. Right. And that's that's a really, really big comment. But he was world class. His skills, his skating, everything, his hands, his shot, it was just his hockey IQ were completely off the chart. And when you have that for certain players like him, it just seemed like you wanted it all the time. You wanted yeah. your fix of Alex Kovalev all the time. And I just think, you know, sometimes the, you know, we wanted it and he, he just seemed like he was not willing to give it. Right. I mean, is, is kind of, but incredible, incredible yeah. talent. Yeah. He was on un, unreal when we got him. I mean, it was, a, it was such a huge boost to us. And, um, yeah, you know, there, it, players like us uh, who get by by the skin of our teeth and being good team guys and whatever, when you see a guy have that much talent, you're like, just give me that talent for one day. You know, just give me that. And and that's kind of how I felt as a teammate. Um, but that said, he wasn't a, he wasn't a bad teammate. He was a, no. he was a good guy. He came to team parties and um, he was a he was a good teammate. Um, it was just a little frustrating because he was so damn good. Um, like Rib said, you just were like you expected it every game. And when he wanted to, he did he did something, Ribs, right? Like when he wanted to, if he's like, okay, I'm the coach just yelled at me, he'd go out and he'd get an assist or make a big player run yeah. somebody over. It was like it, it was crazy. I, I remember going out and watching him just kind of practice on a morning skate after after everyone was off like his after practice drills he was stick handling and you can yeah. see a video on on youtube of some of his skill stuff where he shoots from one end to the other and just picks the corner and it's just yep. what changed from new jersey to montreal and not only just from then but leading up to your 15 goal season in 0304 you had a combined total of uh 13 nhl goals um probably over the course of you know, couple hundred, maybe a few hundred games by that point. When you were in Jersey and early in Montreal, were you primarily kind of being groomed as a tough guy defenseman? Because you were a very tough player coming out of the Western League. Yeah, uh, primarily because, you know, Jersey's organization at that time, they, um, Jacques Lemaire, Larry Robinson, Lou Lamorello. I mean, look at the game has evolved over whatever, 35, 20, 30 years and Lou is still the same GM playing the same way with the loaded Islander team. So we were very defense, you know, Scotty Stevens, Kenny Danico, Lyle Odeline. Um, so we had, so it was like, I was coming up in that it, it, to be groomed for that. You know, I was a kid. I, I come from fishing Lake Alberta. I come from nothing. And all of a sudden I'm playing in the NHL and I'm going to, you know, maximum parties in New York city and, and like the whole, I just loved everything. I couldn't believe it. I was like a make a wish kid for two or three years. I'm like, this is unbelievable. What we're, we're getting into the Victoria's secret party. Yes. I'm in. Well, you guys play tomorrow at one. All good. I'll be there. Um, and so <laughs> I, I just, I was, I wasn't as committed as I, could have been and um that's one thing i look back on and i wish i would have i i absorbed it because i think lou lamarillo and jock <laughs> and larry robinson are the three biggest influences of my career um 
but that's that's the role I was on in Jersey. And and the thing is, I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel, right? Scotty Stevens wasn't going anywhere. Scott Niedermeyer wasn't going anywhere. Kenny Danico was still playing well. I actually got my chance because Kenny Danico went to rehab and they, and they called me up and then I, I just never went back down. But then I'd set out some games and then we got a new coach with Robbie Fatorico who I didn't get along with. And it was just so, so transition, I get traded and um, I go to Montreal and all of a sudden I see some opportunity and I'm with some guys I like, Ribs and uh, Scotty Lachance and Weinrich and, and Sack and Turner Stevenson. So all of a sudden I'm with a good group of guys and I'm like, Fuck, this is, this is awesome too. And then I got hurt. I think he, the next year I broke my hand and then I missed a bunch of time. And I was sitting in a press box one night and uh, there was a couple scouts sitting, you know, a couple things down for me. We were in Montreal and um, they were saying, man, if this team had a, a, a good defenseman who could shoot the puck and someone to play physical on defense, you know, they would, that's a big piece for them. And I remember hearing that and going, you know what? And ribs will tell you, I wasn't the most dedicated guy in the world, but I heard that and I'm like, you know what? Those are two things I can do. I can cross check pretty good and I can take slap shots. Like that's not, it's not rocket science here, you know? And so I just, that I, when I came back, I had this um, kind of goal in mind to be a little bit different player. And, um, and then I got some opportunity and it just, it just kind of took off. You know, I put up, points when I was in juniors it's just I think the role they seen me as was this big you know tough kid from Alberta and um that's where I kind of got pigeonholed although I will say Jacques Lemaire really encouraged me to to work on my skills so he put me on the power play one time in New Jersey he goes get out there and I go out there dude I couldn't make a tape to tape pass to save my life and um I got sat out the next game and um I'm like, man, uh, you know, I, I know he goes, you're not playing. I go, I know I, I suck so bad last night. He's like, no, no, that's not it. You can do more. Like you're capable of so much more. And that, that's the kind of guy that Jacques was giving you the shot in the arm, but still letting you, you know, there's a consequence for not playing. Well, as you guys know, we're getting paid to, to play. But um, I just, I always thought that, hey, if Jacques Lemaire back in New Jersey or Lou, had that kind of faith or seen that potential in me, maybe it's in there somewhere. And then I just got the opportunity in in um, in Montreal, and things just started falling in place. I, I think I, confidence too. Confidence is big. Yeah. You know, you came yeah. you came from from uh, New Jersey with 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 a certain uh, mindset of how you play the game, and I think opportunity was given to you that you did not necessarily have in New Jersey. And then as you started to, your light bulb started to click almost like, Hey, Whoa, hold on a second here. I'm more than just a fighter. I'm more than just a defender. I have skill. I have offensive abilities. I can be a power play guy. Am I going to be Nicholas Lindstrom? Who's going to be moving the puck like uh, butter all over the ice? Or can I use a, a skill set a one-timer that is so dangerous that it's ultimately one of the best in the league. And you didn't know what you were, what you had until the opportunity was given to you. And then you took it and you ran with it and became an NHL all-star, you know, that one season, um, 
you know, watching you and Andre Markov on the power play, you know, he's on the left side, you were on your off side, the one timer, and it was absolutely lethal. I mean, I remember I, my, my rookie year was Oh three Oh four, but you're like your big, big year. That first year was Oh six Oh seven. And I remember you used to whistle pucks past or you scored a bunch of goals against us. I think you had a couple one night against us from the point guys fucking hated hated getting in front of the like <laughs> think of our guys in practice right ribs like <laughs> do you remember do you remember richard me. zetnik <laughs> richard zetnik in a practice they were there down at the one end practicing the power play now there was no defenders okay it was just the power play you had richard zetnik in front you had saku on one side you had markov surrey up at the top for the one t and then I mean, Kovalev was, uh, was down, uh, in, in a certain spot and <laughs> Sheldon was whistling. And I mean, whistling 105 mile an hour slap shots past Richard Zetnik ear- ears. And he finally, is like, I'm fucking done. I'm out That's I'm so doing it. And <laughs> Michelle Terrian, I think was our coach at the time was like, get back in there. You get back in there. And he's like, Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And they were skating down to the other yeah. end of the ice yelling at each other. And you know, I look at you, you're yeah. sitting there laughing your head off. You know, not a big deal. Cause you don't have to stand in front of that. Like that's ridiculous. Right. But I also like, I have faith in my own shot. Like I kind of, I'm, I hope I know where it's going. So do you remember I hit, I hit Michael Ryder one time in a pregame thing we, we worked out like Rivs was saying no defenders and Marky was feeding me the puck and I was just taking these quick little snapshots on the net and Claude Julian comes up and goes shoot the puck I'm like dude it's it's morning skate he's like I don't care Mike Ryder's sitting in front and I said okay so I let one go and rides flamingos and he, he lifts his foot up and a slapper gets him on top of the foot you remember that Rivs it broke his foot in, um, yeah. in morning skate and dude, I, I I cried that after. I was so upset. I was like, I can't believe I did that. And um, Claude was like, he shouldn't have flamingoed. It's his own fault. Like he completely took the blame off me. And so, like Rib said, with the confidence thing, I felt like I could practice a certain way, you know. And I don't know. Like Rib said, I, I was like just the. I had the easiest part of this job. I mean, who do you want to cover more, me or? Kovalev who's dancing in the corner so or Marky who's making you know toe drags yeah. on the blue line so I yeah was it's, al- it's almost right like defenders there. had to realize they had to take a an extremely dangerous Kovalev on one side you have Andre Markov who at the time was one of the best um, offensive defenseman in the league and the way that he moved the puck he saw things that other other guys didn't see and it was very dangerous so teams had to kind of trying to figure out what's the one area that we're going to that we're going to give up and no one really knew you they knew you had a big shot but they gave you opportunity for you to shoot the puck but I'll tell you this I remember like you said you came to our team in like in 2000 okay and you're a good defenseman very 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 physical very big you had a presence to you and as you evolved in, in our time in, in, in Montreal, I remember you at one point you were, we were doing a, it was, it was like a, I think a morning skate 
and it was all the defensemen up near the blue line and the coaches would pass a, pass us a puck at, at the, out to the point and you'd be able to walk in and take a slap shot. 99% of guys are not scoring from that shot because the goaltenders are just far too good. And I, I had a pretty good shot. I had a pretty good bomb um, and I never scored. I just couldn't score. And you at the point, I'm talking years later, like six, seven years into your career in Montreal, where now all of a sudden the confidence was at an, at an all-time high. You would look at me. You'd receive the puck. You remember this too, probably. You'd be like, Ribs, top right-hand corner. Uh, and this is on uh, Jose uh, Theodore. He's like literally a, a Vesna trophy guy, and he would grab that puck and that's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.